Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Film Burrito Lights, Camera, Conversation. I'm Jason, and with me, as always, is Chuck. What is up, Chuck? What up, Jay? What up, dude? Getting getting pretty close to finishing up Superstore. Yeah, yeah. Love me some bow. Oh, it's the worst, he dude. The worst. But I, I, but I like that he's not in the show more. Well, yeah, yeah. Like, right. You get just enough of that that doucheness ugh. that, but he's hilarious. He is like a, he just could not be a regular. Oh God, no! He is like a a nice cool breeze on a warm summer's eve. He that's is, the type of douche he is. He's like hard liquor, smoky fo- and oaky. Fo- follow me with this. You can have a shot every now and then, but if you drink too much of it, you get sick and you just, you never want to look at it again. Yeah. How did Cheyenne wind up with him? I know mistakes. Because she's an idiot. She is such my favorite person in the world right now. I, I do. Just. You ha- uh, Cheyenne you, or Nicole Bloom? Yes. Both? Yes. Got it. No, Nicole Bloom. Like, I. You love her? She's Japanese and Irish. How old is she? Is she, is she, is she young enough that I should be. It's half your you. age plus seventeen. So do the plus math. Plus seventeen? Yeah, it's half your age plus seventeen is the is the I cutoff. thought it was plus seven. Yeah, maybe it's seven. Well, you're old. I was gonna say half my age plus seventeen is <laughs> That's older than me. <laughs> close close that's, enough. That's it's half your age plus your age. I don't do math. And then minus half your age again. Yeah, it's half your age plus seven. Got it. So no, she's so it, my uh I think she was nine she was nineteen or twenty in the first season. Uh, or the third season of uh, Shameless that I see the clip for. She's way where too she's, young. Where she's she's very naked. <laughs> she's far too young for you. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. But 100%. you know, it's fine. You get Dina. No. <laughs> you know what? That's the funny thing about I that show. I love her though. She's pretty in an unconventional way. She has great eyes, and I want to punch <laughs> for the character. But like, she's a really good eye. Like, she has very pretty eyes, and I want to punch. Do you want to punch? Like. Like nose up to her forehead, she's attractive, and nose to her chin, she is King Hippo. <laughs> like, and I don't mean that in like a fat joke way because she's a heavy oh, no. set. Oh Soda pop I mean, yeah. I mean like her mouth is just like arg, 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 arg. like she's half Canadian. She's so great, dude. She's actually full Canadian, but you know that's the flappy mouth from Terrence. Yeah, Phillip. exactly that's right. Yeah, just... Hello, Terrence. Hello, Philip. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> I was gonna try to crack a joke, but. You quick on the fart trigger. So, Jesus. So speaking of Superstore, you're you're what? Oh, I was like speaking. You're almost farts. done. Uh, I am almost in real time ish. I'm okay. I'm getting into season five right now. I think I got like two or three episodes left of four. So, gotcha. Yeah, like it'll be, it'll be five is ongoing right now. Yes. So yeah, you're almost caught up. So I I would say by mid next week I should be with you. By I by the by the next Wait, episode air on week? Thursday, I should be caught the up. Th- 13th, right? Is it 13th? Yeah, I think maybe. I don't know. We record this out of order, so it's hard to tell. It might be last week. It might be next week. It might be two weeks ago. I don't know. We need the Charlie Day whiteboard. Yes. Or cork board or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. We had a whiteboard. It's, That's true. It's not Charlie Day, though. No, it is. Hey, Jay. Yeah, buddy. What's, uh, what have you been watching? Uh, we, well, I started uh, Fear the Walking Dead again. Yeah. And? So here's the deal. So I started Wait, with. Where are you at? Uh, season three still because we just talked about this a couple shows ago. I, I've been spending all my time catching up on Superstore. So then, don't even if you're in the same spot you were before. Yeah. That was two. That was like two or three episodes ago. Yeah, and I'm just I don't know, man. I'm it like, gets better because do you want I'm me to stick with? Do you want me to ruin it for you a little bit? Just a little no. bit. Just just a small amount. 
Well, go ahead, because I think I know where you're going with it. All I, the people that you hate about the show because you don't care about them, they all die. Right, and then Morgan comes in. And more people that you care about. Yeah. I'm just And ha- Dharma f- fucking shows I, up. Right, I'm just hanging on until Jenna Elfman comes in. Yeah, and she's such a great actress. Because I love her. I, lo- I do love Jenna Elfman. I, love I, my, I fell in love with Jenna Elfman just as a person and a human being in, um, what was the Ethan Embry movie that she was in where she played the, the hooker? Can- or the stripper? Oh, no, Not it was Can't Hardly Wait. Wait. No. Yeah, 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 it was. was it Can't Hardly yeah, Wait? Yeah, yeah. 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 Because he had two potential. He had like a, he had like a, like a crush on Barry Manilow because of Mandy. Exactly. Yeah. What a great film. Oh, that's, so a, that's a show topic we need to do. Absolutely. Is, is bad 90s coming 90s of age 90s teen films. movies? Phil's? Films. There you go. Phil's? Phil Connors. Did you see the Groundhog Day car- commercial? Yes. Oh, my God. That was Brilliant. the best. God, Bill Murray is a national treasure. I take back Amen. every bad thing I said about him. How dare you, sir? Well, it's just because his comedies don't age well. Like Stripes and Meatballs. Remember we were talking about how I'm like... And Caddyshack, where I'm like Ugh. coked out and high, like Caddyshack. Like you watch that, you're like, yeah, everybody was high. Well, I would just read something about the Blues Brothers where they where they were talking about how part of the budget was actually set aside for cocaine for uh, nice. Belushi. For so Belushi. yeah, but good old eight ball Belushi. Oh, uh, yeah, big ups to Belushi. But yeah, so I, I kind of stalled on Fear the Walking Dead, and um, okay. I don't know. It's I I just got to plow through it and get to the point because it, it, it's. I, th- I kind of like uh, Game of Thrones. I always tell you, it's like I, if you get past season one, and even Superstore. Now that we're talking about that, it's like if you get past season one, it yeah. finds its rhythm. But I'm on season three of Fear, and I'm like, I still, yeah. But you know man. what they say about that, right? The what? rhythm's gonna get you. That's true. That's a throwback. I to have a heard joke that that you made decades ago, which I actually ripped off from Chandler Bing. Yeah. After. Bottom. I didn't realize I did, but after rewatching Friends at least three or four times, I'm like, yeah, dude. Don't you hate that? Like, because that's been happening because there was, I was watching uh, a YouTube video about, um, I don't know the name of it anymore, but it's, it's when comedians plagiarize other comedians, um, but not intentionally. So, like, they had, remember, there was like the Louis C.K. versus Dane Cook. Dane Cook stole Louis yes. C.K.'s jokes about naming kids weird things. That was, there's, there's a big, term big for that. Big issue. Yeah. But there's a term for that about like getting it, like getting it in your head and forgetting it and then thinking that it's your own original idea. Right. I have so many of those things. I am not as funny as I think I am. I've been trying to tell you that for years. I know, but I, I don't listen to you. <laughs> that is true. What is true? I wasn't listening. My point exactly. You're what? Proven. Yes. So, but uh, yeah, so I, it's been happening a lot. But do you ever have any like that besides the Chandler Bing thing? Do you come up with that in your in your normal everyday where you say something like sort of kitschy and it's like that's a, that's a Jasonism and then somebody's like, oh yeah, that's from so-and-so movie. Dude, if you listen to this podcast, like nothing I, I say that's funny is my The answer to that question yeah. is no. You yeah, don't listen true. to this podcast. That is so, true. I listened once. I was our 200th listen. Because I was up at like midnight, and I noticed it was at 199, and I'm like, I'll be number 200. I'll be there, yeah. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I want to hold that mantle. I want to hold your hand. <laughs> That's You're a Beatles so reference weird. and not a and not a Gunsel reference. It's my new favorite word. <laughs> Gunsel. <laughs> Hansel and Gunsel. Hey. So what else is going on? <laughs> Nothing. Se- senior long honky. <laughs> Look at that callbacks. Hey, oh. Uh, it's snowing outside. Yeah. It's uh, February. It can Ohio. stop at any point. Speaking of Phil Connors, I heard he saw his. Sh- he didn't Dang. see his shadow. So right, Ned so Ryerson's going to be six weeks early, 
and a preemie, I, I guess. Think, I think so. Not fully developed. Yeah, that's right. I don't know. She squeals uh, when she gets excited. Who does? Uh, Nancy. Nancy Pelosi. Nancy. <laughs> well, uh, Nancy. Well. Uh, so what's our topic for this week, EA son? Uh, we are going to do the collective films of Carol Channing today. Um, we're going to start with <laughs> Hello Dolly. Is in the special. <laughs> You've done that to me before, so I was just throwing it back at you. Just I know. Throwing something stupid out. But no, we are going to do... That show's coming where I get you to prep for something and I just go, nope. That's when I walk away from the mic. I won't even drop the do, mic. Oh, I you're just, just going to swing nope, it away? I'll just, just leave like, it. Yeah. I'm out. I'm out. I'm going to do a whole episode like uh, like Mike uh, McKinney's character, Glenn, from Superstar. Mark McKinney, yeah. Yeah, I'm just, yeah Mark. His older brother, Mike, also does the voice, too. In case does, does he? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to be like, hey, Jason, how are you doing? Well, guys. It's so bad. So, anyways, what 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 what, what QT? Uh, what, yeah, talking about the Tarantizzle. <laughs> so, okay. boy, yeah, yeah. hanging out. There. So, what do you want? What do you want to do? You want to start? You, you I want to go, go, go in order. Them? I want to go because we have a really hard time not jumping around. Like we, I would say, like we have a hard time sticking on topic, just in normal life. But with movies, we're like, okay, we're going to do Kevin Smith's movies, and we're like, we're going to start with Clerks. But in Clerks 2, there's a really fun yeah. fact, and then we never talk about, which we never talked about Clerks 2, which I'll just throw that out there. But I'd like to try to stay in, in the realm of order, if yeah, possible. Yeah, so ironically, when we talk about Tarantino, we're going to go in order. Oh, that's really funny. I didn't think about that. So yeah, just oh, it's been a long day. Let's let's keep oh, that a, in mind. Ned Ryerson. Needle nose Ned, Ned the Head Ryerson. Bing! I did the whistling billy button. <laughs> I asked your sister to I wanted to ask your sister to prom until you told me to back off. Bing, bing again! Ned Ryerson? Yes, bing! I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. Watch that last step. It's a doozy. I really like when he's like, I sell insurance. You can never have too much life insurance, can you? Am I right? Am I right? Right. Right. So anyways, we're going to start with uh, Reservoir Dogs from 1992. Yes. I know you, you, you didn't do your opening. No, I did not. And I feel bad for that. But I did a segment last show. Can I, can I continue my segment? My run on sentence plot for each of these movies? Or do you want me to, to know? I won't do it like, if you don't want me to. I, I am looking forward to hearing it. Lies, Please. lies, lies. I can't Please wait. Please proceed. I'm so excited. Run on sentence plot lines. Single sen- single run on sentence plot yeah. of Reservoir Dogs. Ready? Six criminals come together to pull a diamond heist when everything gets fucking fucked, and we find out one of the six is not who he is because he's a fucking undercover cop and shit at his job. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. I just thought the language because more? it's Tarantino was very fitting. Because he says I the think it was appropriate. Fuck a, lot. a lot. Yeah. Like a lot. See, the beauty, though, I think of Tarantino's writing, and this goes through all of the movies. In fact, I'm going to skip to. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm going to skip directly to. <laughs> going to go right to uh, Once Upon a Time. He's actually writing a movie right now. We're going to skip to the movie we know nothing about and talk right. about. Yeah. I heard he's actually, directing a season of. Yeah. Actually, before we get started talking about the Tarantino movies, I want to just ask you this did you hear that he's not doing star trek oh no i didn't yeah that's they put the kibosh on that oh, so that's sad yeah i would have loved to have seen that because i don't i'm not a big star trek fan fight me on it i don't like it uh to me it's just like not as interesting as star wars 
I just it's not my thing. It's it's not. It's got a special place in my heart because my dad loved it. Yeah. And so growing up, we would always watch. Well, and uh, I the love your dad, series, but I don't TNG love TNG and all that. Oh wait, you so, did. You, so you did it all. We did it all. Yeah. What are you? All are you it. watching Picard with him? Like, do you? Do, do you uh, let me ask you because I know you lived. It's a CBS. Yeah. So like, you, you have to you have to pay for the subscription, and either one of us are doing. Oh, that, it's so. not on TV. It's no. you have to buy. Oh. It's CBS All Access. It's like ten bucks a month. Not worth it. I used to subscribe to it back in the day. If if they have like a thirty day trial, I might do it just to watch Picard because I'd like to see it. It might it be one good. of those things where if it's done by like Father's Day, like in June, maybe buy Dad the the, the download for it or the disc set, and yeah. then you get the download, and then you guys watch it. That's not a bad idea. Oh, yeah, because I've heard good things about like I. But again, I don't know anything about the character or next gen or right. whatever, and and how it ended and how so the it, how it ties in with the OG and it probably wouldn't resonate with you then because it's it it seems to me to be while it it what I've read it, it seems like it holds up on its own mm-hmm. it's definitely a lot of fan service okay so that's why I was I was assuming that it was because. Obviously, I would have loved to have seen a QT Star Trek. Let's be honest, man. Like movie or TV series? Anything. Okay. You can be so hostile about it. Damn. <laughs> I would love to see Samuel L. Jackson on the bridge of the Enterprise. That's that's a <laughs> motherfucking Romulan. That's right. Or Tim Roth in the captain's chair. That would be great. Actually, I would like to see him as like a red shirt. Michael Madsen as the uh, engineering officer. He's like, well, he's like Scotty's character. He's like, uh, I don't know. We can't. We can't go any faster. Or Brad Pitt and Tarantino, or Tarantino, uh, DiCaprio, rather. As fast as we go. Yes, you know. Eh. And then he cuts Picard's ear off. <laughs> right. While well, Steeler's wheel plays in the back. There you go. So there we go. Circling back. Circle Reservoir of Dogs. Life. Oh, yeah. So I did my thing. So uh, Reservoir Dogs was 1992. That was my introduction to Steve Buscemi. And I think yeah. most of the world's introduction, because I... I I think that he hadn't done much acting because he was a firefighter in New York City. Uh huh. And so I think this was like his first big, like big breakout role. D- yeah, as definitely Mr. Pink. Is the one that got the most attention back then in the early '90s. And just fan- so, the, like, I was such a fan of his character and his <laughs> acting and his portrayal that when they re-released Reservoir Dogs on regular DVD, they did the different colored box sets, yeah. one for each character, and I got Mr. Pink's. That's the only pink DVD that I owned was the Mr. Pink Reservoir Dog one. That's awesome. Uh, and uh, 13 going on 30. But I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> 27 dresses. So do you know who, what, like what, because every character is, spoilers, I guess, every character is represented by a color for the heist. Do you know which actors played which colors, I guess? Like who was Mr. White? I gave you this one earlier. Uh, Kaitel. Right. Who was Orange. Um, uh, orange was the new black, but no. Yeah, yeah. Laverne. Orange, you glad I asked you this question? He was uh, he was Tim Roth. Oh, Tim Roth. Okay, Tim Roth was orange. So now we've got two down. Blonde was Madsen. Yes, pink obviously was Buscemi. Yeah, and she's a really good singer. It's true. Blue. Um. Uh, and if you can just describe what he looks like Blue. and not the actor's name, because it's it's an ancillary. Blue was Tarantino, wasn't he? Nope. Oh, he was brown. He was brown. Okay, so I'll give you that one. He was Mr. Shit. Um, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Brown crayon on my pants because I keep wiping. Who am I missing? It's uh, Edward Bunker. He was the older guy with the mustache. Oh, the old guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Archie's brother. Yeah. 
So, and then we get Larry Tinnery <laughs> playing. Those were the days. <laughs> we get we get Larry Tinnery playing Joe, and of course, Chris Penn, rest in peace. Rest in peace, as, Chris Penn. As yeah. nice Patty, which I don't know if you know this or not. That was in actually his suit. that was his tracksuit. That was Chris Penn's. Really, that was not. It was not oh, written in. It. He just wrote, it. and that was Cartel's actual suit too. Like, yeah, Cartel right. owned that suit. That wasn't anyone else's. Which leads me to believe that they bought him a suit after the fact because that thing was <laughs> yeah. fucked. It was pretty pretty hit so, at, the, at the end of the day. But I, I really like that because, I mean, this was Tarantino's first uh, directorial debut too, right? Yeah. I think he, he hadn't really done Hit anything the else. circuit. He, he, he wrote because he wrote True Romance and that came out before uh-huh. this. Isn't that how he funded this? By writing True Romance and gave up directing options? Part of it. Do you know how he funded the other part? Uh-huh was by doing a bit part on Golden Girls as an Elvis impersonator. That's right. Yeah. Forgot about that. So he was able to to partially fund Reservoir Dogs with <laughs> Golden Girls and uh, the True Romance script. Was uh, and This is a serious question, even though it's going to sound dumb. When he was an Elvis impersonator, was he in the gold suit? Yes. Okay, yeah. because, and I know that we said no skipping around, but... People, I didn't say that. You said that. I'm all for skipping around because people that's what we say do. that 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 what was in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction, because it's obviously we don't know. But they said that it was Elvis's it's the gold stuff suit. Dreams are made of. No, they said it. They said that they thought it was Elvis's gold suit from ah. from Vegas, and so it would be really funny if that was Tarantino was like, yeah, it's Elvis, it's the Elvis's. It gold would explain suit the glow. I, yeah. yeah, I love it. So, anyways, so tell me your your take on on the RD. I, well, I love Reservoir Dogs, and that was kind of my my introduction to Tarantino. I, I, like, you see, and, you and saw I that didn't. First? I saw that first. Wow! But after wow. Pulp Fiction came out, oh, right, you went back before you. I Tarantinoed it nice appropriately. So I so Pulp Fiction came out, and that you know it was the big. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, my my kitten. My, no, my kitten is behind me on the chair, and he is snoring, like <laughs> just the tiniest kitten snore. If you can pick that up on the mic, we definitely need to uh, adjust our levels. It's so, <laughs> goddamn adorable. Anyway, while he's playing with his pussy, we will go on with the show. Wagon, hey, so. skipping around, <laughs> feet. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, just feet. Did you did you did you hear uh, Brad Pitt's acceptance speech at the I believe it was the Golden Globes uh, or, or the SAG Awards I don't know it was one of yeah, those two yeah about the Tarantino and the feet yeah he says he's separated more women from their shoes than the TSA it's brilliant so funny I wonder who writes for him I I don't know I think it might be DiCaprio it could be yeah so I think it's really interesting that you saw that like you saw these in order because I did not yeah yeah well so it was after so Pulp Fiction came out. It it was a, a huge hit. Everybody was talking about it. It oh, he brought uh, Travolta out of semi retirement, or you know, well, brought him back. Yeah, yeah. Dug him out of the career hole that he had dug himself. The Cobra Kai career hole. <laughs> yeah, that's hashtag Cobra Kai hole. And uh, yeah, so he brought him back, and and it was just it was a huge event. And I had, you know, of course, heard about Tarantino from the. When he first broke on the scene with Reservoir Dogs, but I had never seen it at that point. So I went back, I watched that, and then kind of went in order from there. So same for me on the fact that I, I hadn't I had heard about him for Reservoir Dogs. I never made an attempt to watch it. 
Uh, I didn't see Pulp Fiction in the theater because I was still a little bit too young, I think. Yeah. Um, but I did get Pulp Fiction. That was one of the first DVDs that I owned and then went back years, years, three or four years later and saw Reservoir Dogs. Dude, do you know what another thing was that, that pushed me to Reservoir Dogs first? The soundtrack? So Pulp Fiction came out in, what, 95? Let me look at my notes, 1994. 94, okay. When did Swingers come out? 1996. I think it was 96, 95 or 96. Yeah. That was the first one I saw. You so saw, I saw Swingers. Swingers. And do you remember that whole scene where they're sitting around the oh, table talking? Funny. And they're talking about the... the Everyone steals from talking, everybody. Yeah. And they're talking about Reservoir Dog. It's Sue. Sue keeps talking about Tarantino. But the other guys are talking about Scorsese and all this stuff. And then they do that slow motion walking scene. Yeah. Which is like a direct lift from Reservoir Dogs. So that and Sue's got the poster on his wall and the whole deal. So that was actually what really got me wanting to watch it. But it that's, was right around that same time. That's really great because I know you turned me on to Swingers in the early 2000s. Still one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah, I would put that up there with, with mine as well. Um, but I had already seen Reservoir Dogs by that, by that point. But yeah, that's, that's, that's actually that's a really good story. I'm glad you shared. I did not know that about you. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, well, you're very welcome. That's yeah. what we do. All right. But one of the best, I, I, another thing too is like a couple episodes ago we were talking about Kevin Smith and how he got a lot of uh, inspiration from Tarantino by watching Reservoir Dogs, specifically my computer. the The whole opening scene where they're sitting around talking about like a virgin and Toby Wong, Toby Wang, yeah, and he, not tipping, right? And Smith said, "He's like, oh, we can do that in a movie." We can just write shit that we talk about when we're hanging out. Yes, Kevin, you can, but you have to do other shit with the movie, too. You can't just sit. You can't just do it, right. You need to have an ear-cutting scene. Your you action it. can't be off-camera. <laughs> you have to show it. Well, look at that. There's stuff going on. Let's talk about that. But, uh, yeah. I love so his, And I think that the uh, one of my favorite things about Tarantino as a whole is that that he can write that dialogue. A Tarantino that feels that feel hashtag Tarantino. <laughs> Sorry. So it it uh it feels natural. Yeah. You know it it like and well, again I'm jumping around. Uses, okay. Yeah, but the, I know what you're saying. Like the vernacular uses is not. It, it's it's the conversations that you would have, maybe not verbatim, but it's the conversations you'd have with yeah. friends and family. And, and it but doesn't have swear. to mean anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like look at Inglorious Bastards when they're in the basement. That whole scene. All it's about is is that ending scene where they have that shootout. Yeah. That's really what it's all about. But they stayed out in that basement for, what, a half an hour? Just building up to that final shootout? And I love... Tarantino has a, this kind of thematic thing that he does where you have this long conversation building up to something, and then it happens. It's kind of like watching baseball. There's a lot of balls and strikes, and there's a lot of you know foul tips, and then all of a sudden you get that that line drive base hit, and people are running the base, and it's like so you get this this shot of action that you've been waiting so long for the build, you know, enjoying the build up, and then all of a sudden, whoa, and we have excitement usually, now. But that's usually how life is too, and that's that's one of the things I really like about Tarantino. Also, Absolutely, is, is that it's not John McClane go go go, right? It's not just balls to the wall action that. It's comedy, it's drama, it's action, it's suspense, it's terror. 
Sure. It's it's real life. It's it's everything. It's not just a genre. And pulling the music piece into it. There, there's mm. nobody that can put together a soundtrack like QT. Yeah, when it comes to using pop music, I, I, I agree with you on that. Uh, the the K-Billy, the, like having Stephen Wright as oh, yeah. the K-Billy uh, sound, sound, soul sounds of soul the 70s or whatever. The 70s. Yeah. Like, here's another great one. And then even, so good. even referencing, like, because what was it? Uh, Chris Penn, Nice Guy Eddie, and, um, and Mr. Pink referenced the, the Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia, the original version. Yeah. And it's never played in the, in the soundtrack. But like you, you remember that scene, you remember that conversation, you remember that song, and you're like, it's such a, a big part of their sort of weird character development about talking about how they're like, oh, I haven't heard that song forever. Yeah. And, you know, oh, well, it turns out that Annie's the one who, you know, and it's, but you never hear the song. Like referencing music and having the music in there is just absolutely amazing the way that, the way that he weaves that. Yeah. And only he... And again, that's what we would talk about. We would talk about, oh, yeah, the, the storyline in this... This movie or that song or... And not to jump around, but I think it was very ballsy for him to put, I think it's a Kinks song in Hateful Eight with the giant oh, yeah. sporadic, or like sprawling score that was done by... Uh, Ennio Morricone. Yes, who did all the spaghetti westerns. Yeah. So to, to throw in stuff. what is a pop song in a I western, that, like, and it worked really well. Did the same thing in Inglorious Bastards. Didn't he have a, uh, was it David Bowie, I think, did? Maybe. I don't know. I don't was, remember. But again, it was. Let's find out. You got the score, and then you throw in, uh, like, a, a somewhat contemporary song. Yeah. And it just, like, I don't know. To me, it does, that's one of, you remember how, like, I always tell you, there are certain things that take me out of a movie when the realism is gone? John Hamm. That never does. <laughs> Yeah, because he can do it so Why effortlessly. Why John Ham? Isn't that what you said? John Ham always takes you out. Of oh, whenever he's God! Like, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah. that is it. I'm sorry. Does, I know him better than he knows himself, ladies <laughs> I, and gentlemen. I, it's my bad. I forgot about that. Yeah, I know him. Anytime I see John John Ham, it's I'm like, oh, it's John fucking Ham. The Hamaconda throws you off. It's, Hamaconda you know, don't want none unless you got bumps. Huh? So <laughs> fucking weird. Um. Oh, oh love it. so fun fact, in the K-Billy's whatever, like during the radio Super broadcast, the 70s. there is an ad for Jackrabbit Slims. No way. Yeah. I've never heard it. I got it from IMDb. That's awesome. So I think that's, I, I want to go back and, and re-listen for it now. I wish that place existed, man. Yeah. I'd go get me a $5 milkshake. Yeah. Do you want to segue right into the, to the Pulp Fiction? Because well, we didn't really sure, talk about... Yeah, we can bounce it. We can't... I'm going to give you permission one to Tarantino, plot. the Tarantino episode. Okay. So I'm going to give you my, my one-sentence run on plot for, for Pulp Fiction. Are you ready? I'm ready. Drum roll, please. Don't do that. Two, hit, two hitmen are trying to get a briefcase full of glowing fuck-all for their mob boss when shit gets crazy for real and real crazy in a non-linear story of faith, love, heroin, and watches. Wow. I like it. That's a pretty descriptive, uh, that's, that's pretty much what the movie is. I agree. I was going to put something about the gimp in there, but I needed to breathe. <laughs> yeah. That, really, that sentence was not as long as some of the other ones will be. That one wasn't bad. No. It wasn't bad at all. But, and I think it touched on pretty much everything in there. Yeah. So. Except the redneck butt rape. That, well, that's, that's the gimp that I left yeah. out. 
Um, so with going back to your the five dollar milkshake, I agree. Now I think it's really cool that Buscemi played uh, the Buddy Holly character that took their order for the milkshake. Yeah. And I like to think that when Mr. Pink leaves at the end of Reservoir Dogs, that that and he flees, that he's in hiding, that's and that's job. that's where he winds up. Oh, at. I love it. I I really think that that uh, that would be kind of cool if if Tarantino came out and said uh, that that's what Mr. That he that is Mr. Pink. Like yeah. I just think that would be cool. But, well, there is continuity between at least those two movies because yeah. Reservoir Dogs has uh, Vic Vega. Yep. And then Pulp Fiction is Vincent Vega. Vincent Vega, yep. So. Um, there's a, is there a third brother? Isn't there in, tr- oh no, that's Michael Madsen plays Vic Vega in True Romance. Oh, really? Yeah, he's, he's in the very, like, end scene. Like, that's the tie-in. That's how that movie oh. is kind of in the, the thing. Tarantino-verse? Yeah, the, the, the Tino-land? <laughs> Terrytown? Tarantown? We'll, we'll work on it. Quentin Beck? It's good fishing, Quentin Beck. That's good. No. Um, so when when uh when Steve Buscemi's character is getting the, the order for the milkshake, he asks in a very specific way if she wants vanilla or chocolate, do you know how he asks? He says, Do you want that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh oh crap. Do you want that Martin and Lewis? Or Amos and Andy. Or Amos and Andy, because yep. of them being African American and then uh, White of chocolate. Yeah, which I which I was like, oh, what a subtly <laughs> long to... honky or non honky. <laughs> Do you have any low fat honky? Do you have any almond honky? Those oh, are Native dude. Americans. I will just say this: there's this there's this YouTube channel that I love called Binging with Babish, where he takes he he actually takes the food from movies and TV and and he so you tries to recreate it. Milkshake? He makes the five dollar milkshake. Yeah, and he's like, so how do you make the five dollar milkshake? He takes the idea from Travolta, who says, I think he says, what, do you put bourbon in it or something like that? How do you put bourbon in So he did that. And, and he literally does the math and shows you. It's like, all right, this is uh, it's $4.99.9. It's, but he's got some great stuff on there. He does that the- That uh, to check out. Liz, why don't you link that in the show? The, uh, the Parks and Rec burger cook-off. He, he recreates that. I would like to, does he do the Bob's Burger burger of the day? Yes. See that? I would like to try some of that yep. stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a good channel. Um, fun fact. So is ours. Go to filmburrito.com oh, and subscribe. And give us your feedback and ratings if you want. Also, share this motherfucker with your friends. Be a badass motherfucker and share this podcast. Yeah? No? Too much? Yes. A little over the top? Bamf. Okay. Oh, Bamf. <laughs> Forgot about that. Uh, the EpiPen scene, where Travolta has to stab Uma Thurman because <laughs> she mistakes EpiPen, heroin yeah. for cocaine and oh, dude, that was rails brutal. a line. Uh, shot in reverse. So he wasn't stabbing oh. her. He started with the it down and pulled up, and then she reacted. They added the in post. That the, makes sense. Yeah. So put that in your pipe and smoke it, coffer. <laughs> it's from my good friend Randy. He'll he'll know. We used to joke about that. That's a Tecmo Super Bowl uh, joke. I don't think he listens to the show yet. 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 We'll get him. Yeah. We rope them all in. Eventually. One friend and family member at a time. We will get our fifty subscribers. That's right. Yeah, I like, uh, one of the things I always say is don't be a rectangle. Because, you know, when Uma does a don't be square, she actually does a rectangle. So don't I'm like, be a rectangle. Come on. Um, Eric Stoltz is in this. Yeah. Forgot about Marty that. Marty McFly himself. Yeah. Yeah, Eric Stoltz is in it with, uh, with one of the Arquette sisters, Rosanna. Rosanna. Uh-huh. 
and wasn't it Patricia? With for in, what in uh, True Romance? Yes, and she also no, she's not in Kill Bill, is she? No, but Daryl Hannah. Daryl Hannah is, oh, is yeah. That yeah. she was she, she was, was really good, awesome, yeah. in that role, yeah. Um. Oh, so I th- there's a tie into the MCU in this movie. Putting Pulp Fiction and what would be Quentin Tarantino's The Real Real Universe into the MCU. When Nick Fury dies in Age of Ultron, on his tombstone, it has Ezekiel 2517. Oh, you're kidding. And the opening of that 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 uh, that non-existent Bible quote, like the first couple of lines on, on Nick Fury's headstone. They did that for oh, Sam Jackson. So essentially putting... The jewels line. Yeah, putting yeah. This, this film series into MCU continuity. That's so awesome. I would love to see uh, uh, Butch show up. Not my dad. Butch, uh, uh, the, the boxer, show up and fight Luke Cage or Iron Fist when they bring those uh, characters from Netflix yeah. over. Uh, I think that would be kind of cool. I do too. Do you think that we could get Bruce Willis to do... I think Kevin Smith could probably reach out to him and get him to do No, they hate each other again. That's true. Now, I guess we'll have to recast. Who's your, who's your second <laughs> choice to play Butch? I didn't think so. so. It's a nice watch you got there. That's also one of my very first uh, uh, memorable, like, the first time that I knew Christopher Walken was in a movie because I had seen a bunch of his stuff, but I never sure. really paid attention to who, who he was. Like, I remember watching, like, Prophecy as a kid. Yeah. Because that's a movie kids should be watching. Of course. And my mom thought it was religious. We rented it from Eagle Video. Oh, good Lord. And, uh, and I watched it, and I was like, this is not for kids at all. Um, but, you know, Walken obviously plays, the you know, Gabriel, I think, in all three of those movies. And uh, creepiest line ever, though, is like, you know that dimple on your lip? That's when I went, shh, when you were a baby. And I'm like, oh. Creeptastic. That's where I laid my dick. No. Oh. So, uh, but this this walk-in scene, absolutely fantastic. Probably so good. I would say it's it's most people's favorite moment of the of the movie. It's up there for me. It's yeah. Like, it's just so funny. And and again, that's quintessential Tarantino writing where he's yes. like, all you got to do is say this this watch means a lot to me. But to bring in Walken to deliver that that monologue, easy ass story, so good. What is Walken's character's name? Oh, damn it! I know I'm asking a lot of stuff, and I'm doing that to sift through the seven pages of notes I have uh, for the Tarantino show. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Just it tell me. Is hold, I'm looking for it. Hold on. Um, well, 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 well. Um, it's uh, his name's like Captain Coons or Croons or yeah, it's there's a it's tie because there's a tie-in with Django, Crazy Craig Coons, yes. K O O N S or whatever. So it's like his grandpa. A, it's his great great grandfather is in one of the bounty posters that Django has. Oh, that's great. Yeah, there's a lot of um like the of the the great greats. I actually have a a list we can go through at some point uh, of the the weird connections. Uh, for the characters on here, like there's a, I pulled a, a top twelve, and I, I think I sent them to to Liz. I'll have I'll have her link to it in the the show notes or the the socials or whatever, so that you can Word. go to the actual like screen rant page or whatever. Um, but like there's a there's a top twelve list of like 
odd character relations that we'll go through near the end of the show. But that's one of them is is Walken's character, and it's yeah, and it's so great. like throwaway because it's it's literally the bottom of a of a bounty poster, and if you're not looking for it, like you miss that tie-in. Yeah, but yeah, I thought that was really I thought that's cool that he comes back and puts those characters in. Well, I, I think that's another thing that makes Tarantino such a good filmmaker is his attention to detail. Like for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, for example, he apparently shot several episodes of Bounty Law <laughs> and then, you know, broke it up and put pieces in the movie. But yeah, like he, he kind of has this this uh kind of branch reality where he it's like, yeah, well he's supposed to be in this show, so let's shoot a whole episode of the show and we'll just take p- bits and pieces of it. Also, did he shoot commercials for it too? Yeah. Jesus. Yes. For, yeah, because all I remember the after for the post credits are is the red apple cigarettes. Red apple cigarettes. Yeah. With with uh, Leo being like, "Who took this fucking picture?" <laughs> so good. Got a double it, chin. <laughs> he uh, oh. also hired the uh, an artist from Mad Magazine to do uh, uh, like a, a a parody of oh, Bounty yeah. Law on the cover of Mad Magazine, and then uh, I believe. The final print edition of Mad Magazine, they did, uh, they did Bounty Law. Did they really? Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So he, he actually got in there. It started off as just a, an element for the movie, but then, you know, he became, he's part of history. That's, that's pretty fantastic. Oh, and I was listening to uh, a Real Blend podcast where they were interviewing him. And he's like, he's like, take that, Judd Apatow. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, Keeping in style with what we promised not to do with Tarantino. I didn't promise that. I, well, the, I, I promised that. I'm good with that. I'm going to give you my, my plot summary for uh, Once Upon a Time. <clears throat> Run on sentence <clears throat> plot lines with Chuck. Rick, a Westerns TV star and a stunt double slash gopher cliff, stopped the Sharon Tate murders by the Manson family while tripping and drinking and using canned goods and a fucking flamethrower while tripping and <laughs> drinking. <laughs> That movie, I've only seen it once. On your recommendation, I it's the so good. It's the most recent that I have watched, and it was absolutely fantastic. I had heard. I'm glad you said that. I had heard because I and I don't remember if I, I said it on the podcast or, or just in uh, IRL uh, when I was away from keyboard AFK. Um, <laughs> Jesus, on 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 our Merc channel, Film Burrito at Merc dot com, and go to our GeoCities website. About. Um, it's just old stuff. I think in real life Check I had out said, on Wolf. I think I had said that um, that uh, I was I was nervous about this movie because I had heard some reviews saying that there was a lot of driving through like Mulholland and that there was a like huge yeah. chunks of the movie were just the camera in the back seat or mounted to the back of the car yeah. and just like the actual trip through and I which is I didn't, not true at all. No, it's not. I, I thought I was going to hate that when it did show up, but I thought, what a great idea. It because it's, it's a real shot. It's, it's a practical effect of, of them actually driving the car through the area, but it's shot in a way that looks like it is a green screen projected like they would have done in the 60s in the and 60s, 70s. Yeah. And it almost looks like, I mean, I don't know for you, and it might just be I have bad eyesight, but when watching the movie, when you look over the convertible... Where my bifocals clock... When you look over the windscreen, over the boot of the car, 
It it looks it's a boot. Is that before or after you put petrol in it? It's a bit before, right? Oh, right, right, right. Hey, fuck off. We'll do 1917 in a bit, eh? <laughs> Bang is a match. <laughs> I don't know. That's all I got. So it's it's almost like when you look when you look over the windscreen, it looks different than when you're looking through the windscreen. If that makes any sense. Because no, you're, yeah. you're looking through a reflective surface and the camera picks up on that difference of like, this is what the actual sky is and this is with a, a clean sheen on it because it's looking through a window. Clean sheen. Is that Martin's brother? Or? It's the non-Hispanic one. Got it. Okay. So clear. it's the one that doesn't have AIDS. <laughs> but he does have tiger. What breath. is it? Was it Miss, Emilio Estevez is doing another Mighty Ducks that you said you sent me? A Mighty Ducks reboot on uh, Disney Plus? He's in talks. Yeah, oh, he's in talks. I, Emilio, I would love it. Save your family I name. I would love it. Estevez the shit out of that. You get Gloria if you need to. <laughs> right. Get Joshua Jackson out of Dawson's Creek and bring him back in. Yes. I don't know who that is. I don't watch Dawson's Creek. Pacey Witter. Oh, that's who everyone says that I remind them of. Because you're a smartass? Yes. And um, our, our, our good friend Andrew that was uh, Sergeant that we White? worked with. Yeah, USMC? He, he would always sing the, the I don't want to wait, anytime I would come <laughs> yeah. out to the, the outside. But he always said <laughs> that, that my, so some of my facial expressions matched, matched Pacey, too. And he's like, oh, here comes Pacey. I'm like, I, I right. don't see it. Also, I'm hitting my Pacey peas pretty. Yeah, back it off. Poignantly. <laughs> back, back it off, off that, honky. That, Tip. Gotta stop referencing our old shows, Jason. It's a callback. God, don't be such a, a gunsel. It's, <laughs> it's key in comedy. Come on, man. It is. I I, I agree with you. So, um, what I really love about the driving sequences is that yes, it really get me back on it, topic. It, it, <laughs> that's what I do. It's my job. It affords the opportunity to bring because uh, we were talking about the the soundtracks before. This one I think is probably my favorite soundtrack. Of, of all of his movies. It's so great. But a lot of that music is just what they're listening to on the radio in the car. Yeah. Yeah, so I really like that. It, it allows you to, to bring that, that music into the story. Or when Leo's in the pool like with the headphones on. Yes. Like that, yeah. Oh, that was great. Yeah. And he's drinking his margarita. Fucking flamethrower. <laughs> so good. So... <clears throat> Pardon me. I'm just, I mean, now that we're just, we're just skipping all over the place here. Um, so I really like that they brought Luke Perry in and very sad that he yeah. passed away. I thought that that was going to be the next like Travolta. Like they were going right. to bring Luke Perry in. He was going to crush it in the scene, which he did. He absolutely did. I thought he was great in the scene. Yeah. And as brief as it was, yeah. he, he owned it. And I was really like, dude's going to, dude's going to have a little bit of a coming. Cause I mean, Luke Perry, in my opinion, never got his true Hollywood moment. No, he got small screen. He was very much a TV actor. People knew him from you know was it nine hundred two one zero and Buffy the Vampire Slayer the movie. Yeah, that was his one big break. With Paul you know? Rubens. Yeah, you gotta invite me in. Come on, come on, you gotta invite me in. And uh, and so it was it was really sad that um, you know that that he passed away and that he didn't get a chance to to really let the Tarantino effect shine for him. And I just, I really think that it would have been cool to see what, what could have been after the fact. Right. Um, also, I don't know if you caught this or not, because I didn't. It, Damian Lewis from Band of Brothers was... And Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. I yes. was like, that's brilliant casting. And it's so funny how much he looked like McQueen, yeah, too. Yeah, well, Michael Moe as yeah. Bruce Lee. Right. With, oh, with dude. The, with the glasses on. The glasses off, I was like, oh, that's not... 
that's not as good. But with the glasses on, they said they got a lot of a lot of hate from from family because of the portrayal of him being cocky. Right, and and I think we touched on that in one of the previous yeah. episodes too, where I think it was his his daughter. Having gone back though, and and remembering, and this is nothing against Bruce Lee. I'm not a huge fan. This is nothing against his family name or legacy, or whatever. Take this with a grain of salt. It's a fucking work of fiction. Yeah, it's a fucking movie, Miss Lee. Settle your shit down. Not only that, but, but I have a lot of appreciation for you, like, and family, yeah. and and what he brought to the nothing film. Nothing love. I, you know, just yeah. I can feel it. Big ups to Bruce. Yeah, the dra- the the from Jaws, Bruce the shark. Not. Oh, I thought you were talking about Bruce. Bruce Dern, Lee. No. He was- I like Bruce Leroy from the 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 uh, was it the last uh, last dragon last yeah last, <laughs> last dragon. dragon yeah that's my favorite uh, that's my favorite kung fu Bruce I I always joke about that with Keith oh show enough oh God Tar- now if Tarantino remade that oh would man be brilliant and set it in the late seventies early eighties again and doing it as an homage to that oh that yeah period. oh God, yeah absolutely that would be so great oh but anyways what, it's one of the things. Uh, one of the many things I love about Tarantino, I would put Tarantino in in my top five favorite filmmakers of all time. Hitchcock is number one. Yeah, we'll have to do this for another show to figure out what our top five is, but he's he's up there because there's. Oh, I thought nothing... you were going to do number two now. Like, well, I'm not going to give you the whole list, but number one and number two. No, because are... I would have to think on it. Yeah, I would have to think on it definitely. But he's definitely up there, and and it's there. He's. I think first and foremost, it's his skill as a writer, because he's a talented director too, but I think the writing is what really sets it off for me, because he can write a script that is engaging and interesting, and it moves the plot along, but it's also unlike anything you'll ever see. That's a really good point, and I'm glad that you bring that up, because that brings me to my least favorite of the Tarantino films. Which is? Jackie Brown. Really? Yeah. It's not... Well, of the ones that we're doing, because, like, Death Proof or whatever, like, well, I don't... Just... Whatever. But yeah, of the I, of the I core like QT Proof. movies, that's my least favorite. And it's because it's an adaptation from a novel, and he was trying to be more true to the source material, because the... Rum Punch by Elmore yes, Leonard. Yes. Yeah. Um... And so because of that, I think that maybe he, because I don't think anyone from the studio or, or from the, the family, or I have it wrote down in my notes. Um, I have it right here. That's fine. What are the, what are the, what are the other, the other uh, books in that series? Um, there is uh, Lucille Long Honky. There is uh, Nikki Feybaud. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. There is, uh, uh, can we get her another uh, one? Of another claw? Yeah, and then... Uh, it's so, the claw, ladies and gentlemen. Gonna get you. So uh, Jackie Brown, a stewardess, smuggles cash and coke for Odell Robbie from Mexico to L.A. until she gets busted by two agents used in a fucking scheme to get Odell in exchange for her freedom. But Jackie Brown has other plans. She going to Spain. Yeah, not my favorite of his movies. I, I really I like Sam Jackson in it. And De Niro. Why does Sam Jackson look like the Crypt Keeper in the last act of that movie? Dude, I don't he looks like the Crypt Keeper. You know, it was his hair. idea for it to have to him have the big ponytail and the braided, uh, yeah, and the the braided beard. Yeah, look like Captain Lou Albano. With yeah, the, the crazy crazy beard thing. No, he's uh he's so great, dude. Sam Jackson is just he's a bamf. Yeah, he is the bamf. Yeah, and he was great in that movie. Not a bill. So Jackie Brown also was was what I say was. 
not one of my favorite Tarantino movies until I went and did a, a rewatch. And I got a new appreciation for it, especially Pam Greer's performance. She is amazing. And, and that's the thing is like, I, Foxy Brown I really like that movie. Like, it's a great movie. It's just not my favorite in the Tarantino's. So I'm not saying I don't yeah. like it. I'm just saying of the Tarantino flicks, it's my bottom rung. Like what we did with the Smith, where you're like, what's your bottom Smith film? Right. Still an excellent film. I really, and I've always been, and it's weird because it was going back and rewatching it that made me have less of an appreciation for it. Really? Because the rewatchability wasn't there. When I started thinking about this project and the endeavor of what it was going to take to watch all of these movies and with the length of like Hateful Eight, the extended cut, you know, being yeah. on Netflix and Django being almost, you know, three hours with all the extra little tidbits in it. Like I started thinking, what was I getting excited about? And Jackie kept falling further and further to the bottom because it just didn't have that same panache for me. Like I just, I wasn't as excited to watch it. Sure. And when I went back and rewatched it, I'm like, not as great as the other flicks. That's so funny. Cause I'm the exact opposite. Of course. You know, watching it again, I was like, man, I, there was an appreciation for it that I didn't have before. And I think it, you know, when we were looking at, uh, Maltese Falcon before, I like the the complexity of the story and how it's all kind of interwoven, and you've got the double cross and the triple cross mm. and and who knows who is screwing who and all that stuff. And Jackie Brown is very much that way. Yeah, and I love how a Tarantino kind of tells it in a nonlinear way, where you can kind of bounce around the story and see it from all the different angles. And uh, and yeah, I think uh, I think Pam Greer knocked it out of the park, and Robert Forster too. We just lost him recently, which is unfortunate as well. I, I really loved him in uh, uh, Breaking Bad, and El Camino, I think, was the last thing he did. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, but he was just such an understated actor, uh, you know, particularly in these roles, um, like Max Cherry and uh, um, and then in Breaking Bad and El Camino. He was just kind of like, you know, this is a powerful guy. Mm-hmm. He holds a lot of a lot of people's destinies in his hands. In both of those, or all three, I should say. He carries a lot of weight in the scenes that he acts in, like the actor himself. But he does it in a very subtle, understated way. And I think that that's really powerful, is when you can bring uh, an intensity to a performance that you're doing in such a a low-key kind of way. He was was phenomenal. So having to play uh, off Keaton as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was... Not that this was in Keaton's That's another A-day, performance I totally forgot about. Yeah. He I mean, it, it was, I think this, that, so I always look for the, you know how you, like, you look for the MacGuffin in your Hitchcock films or in right. your whodunits or whatever? Like, I always look for who's the actor, the, the elderly actor or actress that is coming into a Tarantino movie that is going to get their big break. Who's going to, who's going to yeah. reignite their, their fire? And I thought... I'm like, Pam Greer, she's obviously, she's going to get work after this. It's a huge movie. But I think that it, the film was overshadowed by, it was kind of, la- well, it was overshadowed by Sam Jackson's performance because he obviously is amazing He's in this a movie. force of nature. Also, what year did that come out? This was 97. Okay. So it's right around, like we're getting into what traffic and... Uh, and it was his follow-up to Pulp Fiction too. So yeah. I think that people had really high expectations of, of Jackie Brown. It dropped it, off. Yeah. But I thought when I saw Keaton, because he was playing kind of a bit role, not a bit role, but like it wasn't a lead role, I thought maybe Keaton will get his comeuppance from this and he'll 
you know, he can, he can go, he can shred the, the Batman because he was coming sure. off of 90, what, 93, 94 was Batman 2 or 92 was Batman? No, mm, 92 was Batman 92. Returns. 89 was the first one and 92 yeah. was the second. And I so I don't remember, I don't remember what, <laughs> I don't remember what Keaton did in between Batman and this movie. I'm sure he was working, obviously, but yeah. I, I can't tell you, was it Mr. Mom 2? Like, I don't know. know. Gung, Gung Ho was yeah. a great movie. Yeah, it was. I really like that, with, especially at the end when he's like, I'm going to buy one of these cards. It falls apart. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, big ups to Keaton because he's come back in a big way with the MCU and, and oh, Sony. Yeah. So, um, Chris Tucker and as Birdman. Beaumont Livingston. I forgot Chris Tucker it's was so in this good. movie until... So good. Yes. He's brilliant, too. And yeah. he stole those couple of scenes that he was Every in. Every movie that Chris Tucker's in, he it. steals yeah. the scenes. I mean... Corbin, Corbin, I ain't going to fire that is I that's my that's one of my favorite movies. Ruby Rod. It's one of my favorite movies. I have a I have a weird picture of a cat where somebody dressed him up like Ruby and he's got the the leopard print on and the, it's a black oh, no cat way. with a, 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 the cone the, the unicorn. Oh, yeah. it's so it's the best. Unicorn hair. Um it was really funny so when when Tarantino was casting Jackie Brown, he had a bunch of um posters on the wall at the casting studio of Pam Greer. And when she came in to read She's she was very flattered, obviously. And after the read, she she'd asked Quentin, "Did you put these up because I was coming in to to help build me up?" And yeah. he goes, "No, I was thinking about taking them down because you were coming in." Right. And that's just like what a super fan he was, and and you can tell that he really wanted her, and and I thought she was perfect for the role. But I thought that was a nice little like, should I take him up? Should I leave him down? Like I'm kind of a super fan, but I don't want to come off as. You know, like I did this for you because you're, yeah. you know, an, an out of flavor actor at this point. Like you're not getting the the respect you deserve because you're, you know, you've you've aged out of those parts. And well, it's also too. I mean, her subgenre, the the black exploitation stuff from the '70s, is you know that that ran its course. Yeah. And, but Tarantino is such a, a student of film, and he has such an appreciation for film, even those subgenres. You know, like uh, it, you look at Kill Bill Volume One and Volume Two. And hopefully, Volume Three. We're, we're, yeah, we we're still, we're still keeping that? our fingers crossed for that one. But I think that'll be out around the same time that uh, Boondocks Three comes out, or The Good King. Yeah, Either, yeah, one of those two. But of course, that's you know the homage to the uh, you know kung fu movies of the seventies, and and then Death Proof being the uh, the the grindhouse homage. It's like he he sees these films from his history, and and as he's coming out, he 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 tries to, to pay them respect and not to recreate them. No, but I think but to at least do, do them an honor. He's responsible. I would say out of all of the, the directors that came up in, in our youth, we'll say, yeah, from, you know, like late eighties in, into the, the Max Weinstein wave. <laughs> what do you call it? The Weinstein wave anymore. That's something new. Um, <laughs> right. I think, it's a maneuver. I, I think that he's probably the one that's most responsible for bringing attention to, these older films, these these lost directors and music composite, you know, like yeah. like we just said with uh, what's his name from Hateful Eight. What's his name again? Well, Walton Goggins. No, <laughs> the the guy who did the music, uh-huh. uh, uh, Morricone. Yeah, yeah. Like so, yeah. you know, bringing him back in to do that, and you know, shooting them like you said in homage style, like in that seventy millimeter true widescreen with right, you know, Panavision. Like I think that it helped you and I kind of go well if this dude who we respect respects these dudes we should go see these films or we should make it a point to to see something sure. that we hadn't seen before like i've i've never i'll be honest i've never sat down and watched 
the 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 three spaghetti western uh, films that are like Fistful oh, the of Dollar Dollars trilogy. And, yeah, yeah. Like I've never saw, sat and watched any of them. I've seen bits and pieces. I've always wanted to because of how much they're referenced by Tarantino, and it's it's going to be and a Rodriguez. show. And, oh, I have, yeah. absolutely Rodriguez too. But I, it's like I I wouldn't even put that out like as a thing that I want to do if it wasn't for Tarantino and Rodriguez right. putting it in my, my brain that like, no, these are really good movies and you should definitely take a look at them. I pulled a lot of stuff from them. So go look at, for the source material. Sure. And the thing is, even if you don't like the movies after having watched them, you can at least have an appreciation for the, you know, the, the inspiration that was drawn from them, you know? So yeah, it's, it's, I, I, I love, I love all the stuff that he has done, and I love how he can kind of genre bounce, mm-hmm. but he's still got his own signature on everything that he does. Yeah, you always know a Tarantino film. Yeah. Because it always says it, film. <laughs> well, he writes his name right there at the beginning. So you had mentioned Kill Bill, uh, uh, Volume 1 and 2. Yes. I have a small uh, plot run-on sentence, if you'd like me to... Before you get into that, I want to ask you one question. Yes. And this is another thing that I picked up from Real Blend. Yes. Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2, are they two movies, or is it one movie split into two? C. C? Yes. So all of the above? Yes. Or A, C, or C is in yes? Yes. Okay. I know that's very confusing. I, 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 I bel- learned nothing. And, uh, <laughs> and everything. Right. You score no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2 is one story split into two separate movies that require you to see either the former or latter to com- have a complete understanding of either the former or the latter, but can be viewed independently as a standalone piece of artwork. And I'll be running for president. I was just going to say, <laughs> dude, we're going to start your campaign very soon. Because you, you Like, I am extraordinarily pro-life, well. but for society, it should be pro-choice because it's for the betterment of humanity. Myself, and personally, could... Yeah, you're it's morphing into uh, Bill Cosby with that voice. And I'm good at saying that I only paid for abortions that I helped with the rape All and the jello right. pudding. No. Pudding pops, yes. So, at any rate, yeah, I, I, I do actually believe that, though. I believe that, that Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2 is one complete story. Yeah. Two different movies, because they're two different genres. <sighs> Not really. Kind of are. Not really. You have a kung fu movie and a western. You have a western sent, set in Japan. Like, you have a western, a spaghetti western that is, that is set in, in the, the Orient, if I can say that word. And you have no, you may not. You have it's 2020, a, you can't say that. You have a kung fu movie set in the US and Japan, I guess is where it's right. But what I would say is that both films are genre bending mashups and that one's not one and the other's not the other. They're both mashups. Well yeah, that's and why I said you have to watch both in order to split in two. I think that I think that I stand by my sentence that you can you can independently watch them as an individual piece of artwork, but it's better to watch both to get a full appreciation of the story. So it's one movie. It is one story split into two <laughs> movies. <laughs> All right. We're going to print your campaign buttons pretty soon. All right, go ahead. The Bride, a former member of the Deadly Viper Assassination Squad, is preggers by their leader, Bill, 
who is none too happy about being a daddy, escapes her assassination squad lifestyle to have the kid, but Bill says, fuck that shit, and dispatches the DVA, the Divas, DVAS, Divas, the Deadly Viper, is that on the nose? I think it's on the nose, uh, to kill her on her wedding day, but due to a piss poor, or but they do a piss poor job at shooting her in the fucking head, and after she wakes up from her four-year rape coma, she's on a mission to kill Bill by working her way through the Divas. Again, really? The, the Divas? It's the Divas, right? It's yeah. It's the Divas. Okay. Until the end of this two-part saga, spoilers, she does not, in fact, kill, or she does, in fact, kill Bill. With the five-finger death punch. Yes. Which is a band. It's true. She puts AirPods into his ears and plays a couple of tracks and he's like and he's out and and Carradine's like I don't understand this music that's my that's a spot on Carradine I, I don't like understand it. this music wow Steve I thought he was in the room yeah he's he passed he did yeah not pleasantly <laughs> I don't want to bring it up I already brought up Bill Cosby he was a yeah. bad boy <laughs> whoo but Daryl Hannah yeah she was in this and she lost both her eyes she did <laughs> not in real life she only lost one in real life. She swapped out the Daryl had an I in it originally with a Y. So she only lost that one I. She changed Got her it. Name. Okay, I see where yeah. you're going with that. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let's do oh, this. I didn't do part two yet. I have a plot summary for, for part two as well. It's also a, a sentence. Seriously? Uh, yeah, hold on. Uh, the Bride is still going at it because apparently we weren't ready for a three-plus-hour Quentin Tarantino movie in the early 2000s by switching styles at the halfway point, and it might have been confusing as fuck if we didn't already love a Quentin Tarantino movie that was told in a non-literary storytelling way. You going to be all right? We no. need, do we need to bring out the, the oxygen? No, I'm okay. <laughs> Very well done, Thank once you. again. Um, <laughs> I just put, for the cast, I'm like, fuck you, look above. <laughs> So yeah. Everyone's in there. There's, Everybody was the same. There's really only one big name person that's in the second one that's not in the the, the first one, and it's very similar to the Steve Buscemi uh, cameo in Pulp Fiction, where you're like, is this the same potential character? Because Sam Jackson plays Rufus, a piano player and drifter. Could this be Jules from Pulp oh. Fiction, who said, "I want to be a drifter like Kane from Kung Fu and Wander the Earth"? Oh, dude, that's brilliant. I can't take credit for that. That's that's an IMDb steal, but totally that's right. That's great. Like Tarantino needs to come out and say, yes, these are the same two people. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. I dig that. Yeah. Big fan. And and to specifically say, you know, Carradine, you know, to reference uh Kwai oh, Chen Kane, yeah. that's hilarious. Yeah. So so if if Tarantino came out and said that, yes, that Sam Jackson character is Jules. He changed his name to Rufus as the piano player, yeah, and that's it. Like, that would be so cool. That would be, yeah. I love it. So you are a big fan of Kill Bill 1 and 2. You are the reason I actually watched them, because I did not get excited for those films. You actually forced me, almost physically, with the DVD of Kill Bill Volume 1, and then we went yeah. to the theater and saw 2. That's right. What, what, what was your... What did you like about the, the Volume 1 so much that you were like... I need Chuck to like this movie as well. Please watch it. Please, please, please watch it. I bought the DVD from Columbia House for a penny. Please watch this movie. Dude, I don't know. I, I, well, part of it is that my dad, you know, coming up, my dad would always watch uh, Kung Fu with David Carradine. Really? Yeah. And just, so some of my... It's weird that Mike would do that. Yeah, I he loves it. I don't see your dad. Like, every time you tell me shit your dad was into, I'm like, I don't know Mike at all. 
I really don't. That makes two of us. Aww. So, <laughs> this is where we bring in the sad music. <laughs> hey, buddy. You gonna be okay? I need a hug. Do you need a puppers? Yeah. Okay. But dad, dad loved watching uh, Kwai Chang Kane and Grasshopper. He loved it. Yeah. And, and just like kung fu movies. So like on Saturday with, uh, you know, Big Chuck and Little John, if there was some old kung fu movie on, it somehow ended up on TV. So that kind of homage to the genre, I really liked. And uh, I don't know, just like vengeance stories. I've always had like uh, uh, this, I don't know, like going back to, um, what's the, what's the Dumas book? The prisoner, the revenge, the uh, uh, that not the Owl Creek. No, 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 no. No, what? Oh. oh, I can't remember. Anyway, but but yeah. So uh, right now, I want you to know Liz's little sister is listening to this podcast in her car, angry shouting. with us for whatever reason, but screaming Count of Monte at Cristo. us. Count of Monte Cristo. Okay. Count of Monte Cristo. Thank that's you. It. Sorry, Gabby. So. Count of Monte Cristo is a revenge story, and that's it, it's told over and over and over in many different forms. And and Tarantino is big into uh I was gonna say revenge porn, but that's something completely different. Ven- vengeance porn. He likes porn. to put in pops. Vengeance porn. Vengeance porn. Inglorious Bastards, for I, one. I don't know that subcategory of porn. It's it's uh it's just it's I'm like not gonna look it up. we're we're gonna we're gonna show getting even. And I think Inglorious Bastards is a, a a great example yeah. of getting even. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like wish fulfillment and uh, alternate reality and what if scenarios, but it, at the end of the day it's all about yeah, we're we're going to take these Nazis out. Like, you know, we didn't really need the Soviets. And everybody gets their their revenge too. So you have you have Shoshana who does her thing with the theater. Yeah. You have uh, the bastards themselves who get their revenge. So everybody gets a slice of the pie in that one. Even Brad Pitt, because he carves the swastika into uh, Kristoff's yeah, uh, uh, forehead. Right. He's like, I have the best one yet. <laughs> Sound good. But yeah. Uh, and then Kill Bill is, is kind of the same way. It's like, you know, you did me wrong and I'm going to, I'm going to spend two movies hunt, hunting you down. So I can put aside my swords and kill you in my hand, you know? One of the things, and this is going to be a, a lift from IMDb, I just copied it directly, which I thought was really cool. It says, uh, at the beginning of the fight scene between O-Ren and the bride, after O-Ren says in Japanese, I hope you saved your energy. If you haven't, you may not last five minutes. It's exactly four minutes and 59 seconds from the time she, she steps forward and the music cues until the fatal blow of the duel. Holy crap, that's cool. That's really, really cool. Now, I know Tarantino is big on using the correct choreographers for these fight scenes. Yeah. But how intricate and perfect would the choreographer had to have been to hit the mark at 459? Because I know there are cuts and edits in there, and that it could have run longer or shorter, and you could have edited multiple takes. But you, yeah. you would have to think that, like, you have to go, okay... We're going to set up an approximately five minute and we'll do some cuts and there'll be some dialogue yeah. to break it up. But it still has to be super precise. I mean, it just and granted, it's not they're not it's not like uh, uh, Obi-Wan and, and Anakin where they do the massive lightsaber battle 
where some of it's CG and some of it's not, and they just got foam props or whatever. Like these are legit blunt Practical objects, effects, yeah. Not sharpened, but I mean, and big props to to Lucy Liu and Uma Thurman for learning all of that. Yeah, like just I mean, that's a long fight. It's a long scene and a long fight. I mean, I just I'm ridiculously impressed. Such a good payoff, though, too. Oh God, yeah. Like you watch this whole movie, and then you have the the big battle at the end. Well, it's just the contrast of the white snow and the blood, and when they, they do right. the pan back, like absolutely beautiful. fantastic. Beautiful. That's the thing is, Tarantino can shoot a beautiful death, and he can oh, shoot yeah. a horrific death, like Keitel and Roth in Pulp Fiction. Just, Brutal. I mean, they had an actual paramedic or medical medical advisor on site to 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 say whether or not the amount of blood Tim Roth was losing was realistic was or realistic not. Or not. Yeah. and it totally was yeah that uh, so say the words all you fucking want that dude was going to die yeah that's right that's right didn't even have to lose an ear no he just lost a little bit of his soul as he watched another cop die cuz he was really shitty at his job that's right god what a bad cop like not in a bad cop good cop way just why would you send in Tim Roth, he's terrible at his job. He's an amazing actor. He needed that super soldier serum from Incredible Hulk in order to get through Egg, that right. bank heist. Like, okay, here's my problem with this. I'm just going to go off a little bit. No notes. If Tim Tangent Roth, time. If Tim Roth is, a, is a police officer, works his way up, becomes an undercover detective, that means he was a cop on a beat, was yeah. exceptional, right? Like, he was, he was, the, he was the Nicholas yeah. Angel. In order to get that promotion to detective, and then this was his first undercover gig, and they're they're training him, and he's with these these this this cast and crew of of like bad guys, like Harvey Keitel. He's with Harvey Keitel and Joe, a nice guy, fatty. Like he's with them <laughs> the whole time. How do you get shot by a pedestrian with a sidearm as a cop trained? Why are you not looking for the gun? Even in a high-stress situation where you're running away after a diamond heist, you're the one good guy. How do you get blown away by somebody who just happen to have, happens to have a handgun in their car? How does that happen? I mean, I know that it happens, but, like, he's a trained which is, professional. Which is why I love Tarantino so much, is that he writes reality into his scripts. And as, as, as much... Uh, Contrary to that, like like you you need willing suspension of disbelief in some of the stuff, particularly Kill Bill. I refuse. Like, I know you do. <laughs> Everything must be a documentary. But he if writes. Ken Burns' name isn't on a Tarantino movie. I'm not watching it. Like let's look at Inglorious Bastards in, in that basement scene, for example. It's like the moment uh, Michael Fassbender's character gets found out, nobody's getting out of there alive, and nobody does. You know what I mean? Like Some you Brad could Pitt come out of that. He wasn't down there. He wasn't in the he basement. Was like, I thought he was the one that was shouting. Was like, God, I some Oh, he was upstairs. He was upstairs. Now that's right. Right. So everybody except uh, Von Hammersmark was her name. Yeah, I believe. Hold on, I have everybody but her died, and she got a slug in the leg. So it's like she didn't get out unscathed either. I'd say unscathed would be a good yeah. right. So, yeah, I mean, I love that he put, oh, and, and uh, the scene where uh, Travolta blows the dude's head off in the car. It's like, that's, sh- that's going to happen. You know, just accidents happen. And Tarantino writes that into his script. And he's like, 
this is how things would happen. You mean when he shoots Marlon in the face? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a great like what a great plot moving point of like having to call Harvey Keitel's the wolf to clean that up. Like there's no like there's no reason that that scene should have happened. Like in a, in an act like in anyone else's movie, Marlon never gets shot in the face. Yeah. But in Tarantino's movie he does. And do you remember the scene in How I Met Your Mother where they parody that? Where they're, when it's a flashback no. scene with Lily and Robin. Was it in later seasons? No. Because I stopped watching it. No, it was in, it was in an early, it was, uh, really? it, it was in the sec, first or second season. When, remember when the Fiero died before it hit 2 million or 200,000 miles? Yeah. In Arriva Dirce Fiero, they parody that site. They parody that. That's where they take the Fiero to go get, um, is it uh, like Thai food, food or something? It's that Thai explodes? food. Okay. Yeah. And she's like, Lily, you yeah, gotta mop that. up all of the, these, you know, pan fried noodles or whatever, you know, yeah, that's yeah, funny. I don't know. It was speaking of Inglorious Bastards, though. Uh, did you know that I wrote a run on sentence plot for that one? Did you really? I did. Would you like to hear it here? It Color me shocked. A a young Jewish refugee in France escapes execution and opens a movie theater with her lover that is commissioned by the Third Reich to show a pro Nazi war hero film with all of the top brass in attendance, all whilst uh, Lieutenant Aldo. Rayanne, a Tennessee Cherokee descendant, recruits a group Apache. of Jewish, yeah, sorry, Apache, sorry, now you derailed me, a Tennessee Apache descendant, recruits a group of Jewish Nazi killers to scalp and kill as many of the enemy as possible, which culminates, cul- skipping that word, in the plot to kill <laughs> Hitler and the rest of the German top brass in said movie theater by any means necessary. Fuck, this movie's good. That was the best one you've had so far. That was two sentences because the fuck, this movie is good is a whole nother thing. That was really long. That was, that's what a she lot. said. That was, that was a long honky right there. That's, that's right, long honky. Ugh. Yeah, this, uh, another one which gets better upon rewatch. Agreed. Yeah, as most of Tarantino's movies do, to be honest, but. Except for me for Jackie Brown. No? Funny uh, little, yeah, again, Jackie Brown, it just let, it didn't get. Let's go back and talk about that again. No, I'm just kidding. B.J. Novak's character in The Office went to Thailand with friends. And that's when uh, B.J. Novak shot this film, when uh, oh, when Ryan right. when Ryan left the office right, for yeah. an extended period of time. So, did you know Sam Jackson's in this movie, in Glorious Bastards? He is the narrator. Nah, that's right. Yep, I did not realize that until I went back and saw it. I was like, oh shit, Sam Jackson's the narrator. Um, how good was Christopher Waltz? Christoph? Yeah, him too. Yeah, like Christopher was okay. Christoph was better. Christopher Waltz Robbins. Is, that's a uh, bingo. Oh, that's how you say it, right? He's that's so a good. bingo. I that opening scene. Oh, I mean, man, I I held my breath. Yeah, like just so fucking well acted. Even watching it again. Yeah. Right, because you know what's happening, but you still get that. Clinch butthole. <laughs> Do you know what's really funny is so I recently watched Taiko Watiti's Jojo Rabbit, and it not that we th- watch it together. Oh yeah, that's right. You were here for that. I thought it was something. How else. dare you forget? Uh, I forget a lot of stuff. I don't that's even true. know what we talk about in the podcast. It's all the drugs. If it wasn't for Liz, I wouldn't know what the fuck we talk about half the time. Because she goes, "Hey, remember when you?" And I go, "Nope, nope. don't remember that." Um, so I even got a little bit of that like Inglorious Bastards PTSD. Of like that opening scene when we were watching George right. Rabbit because of the same premise almost when she's in her little Harry Potter closet yeah yep yeah when she's in her her, her what Muggle room the, the Muggle room the that, Muggle struggle that that's a movie that we need to talk about too Harry Potter no uh, uh, Schindler's Jojo. List Jojo oh. yeah it's a good movie 
It's really good. I like to see more Taika stuff before I think, well, maybe we'll do that as a one-off. Yeah, we could do that. Thanks for helping us plan the uh, shows out, listeners. Yeah. Remember to like and subscribe. <laughs> Share our shit. Um, so in this movie, who who was who was your your hidden character? Like, because I remember I said like, who's going to be the guy who gets the nod and gets his career revitalized? Like, did you see anybody in this that was like that is really a badass performance? And I'd like to see him get more dramatic roles or better roles or do more stuff in this movie. I'm really giving you like I'm I'm just throwing it out there. Like, Mike Myers. Yes. Yeah. How fantastic was he? He's so good. Oh. Absolutely the best. So the bar great in Bohemian he, Rhapsody too. Well, as uh, as playing Remy Malik playing because he played <laughs> Remy Malik Mike Myers playing, playing Remy Malik playing uh yeah Freddie Freddie Mercury. So you say his last name and. Got it. Farsi. Thank you. Because he's Farhili. Is that the thing? No. No, no totally so not. Mike Myers has that badass bar, though. The world, the globe yeah, bar, you know, yeah. opens up. It's in the globe. My brother-in-law bought that for his friend Joe. Oh, really? As a Christmas present one time. It's like, it is full and huge, apparently. Nice. Like, it's, it's like movie replica. So badass. Dana, Dana, does, Dana does pretty good Christmas gifts. Yeah. Like, pretty. That's why I have the phlebotomist skull. Like, I have a phlebotomist bust upstairs because I made a lot of references. Not phlebot. Oh, fuck. I'm so terrible at this. Not phlebotomist Phlebotomist bust. (laughs) Phrenologist. Phrenologist bust. Phlebotomist bust is the name of the show. (laughs) I knew a busty phlebotomist, and she picked me once. (laughs) You ever notice how phlebotomists always have a bunch of tattoos? And, like, I'm scared of needles, and I always feel like such a wuss when I go in and she's like... All right, we're uh, going to have you go ahead and do it. And I give her the, like, I'm scared of needles thing. And she's like, that's fine. They don't hurt at all. And then she turns around and she's got a full sleeve. And I'm like, fuck, I'm just such a... Not getting uh, one time number. I met a phlebotomist who had a sleeve of tattoos. And she turns to me and she's like, little prick. I'm like, how dare you? I hate you so much. Anyways, I have a phrenologist. Dude, funny. I have a phrenologist bust. And it's because of the reference to the Emilio Estevez, Charlie Sheen movie, Men at Work. When they go underrated movie, definitely underrated. But do you remember the scene where they're playing Trivial Pursuit and they're like, the 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 question was, what is the name of the of the professional who feels and interprets oh, the, the bumps on your on head? head? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's, and phrenologist. Then, and the joke is for phlebotomist. You feel and interpret the size of Walt's asshole because Walt was the yeah. ride along guy. And so I kept for like a whole <laughs> year, I kept making reference to like the phrenologist, the phrenologist. And so for Christmas one year, That's my birthday, whatever, brilliant. Dana got me a phrenologist bust. Or a phlebotomist bust. Either way, take your pick. I would take a bust to see phlebotomy. About? Huh? Where were we? I don't know, but... Uh, oh, I, we were talking a little bit about Mike Myers. Um, don't mind me, I'm just blowing it up. That's fine. Michael Fassbender is awesome in here. Christoph Waltz doing the scenes. Uh, How about Eli Roth, dude? Yeah. He's not a one-trick pony, man. No, and that's another... So remind me, because that's in the top 12 list, Eli Roth's character. There's a tie-in to the Tarantino-verse for the Bear Jew. We'll talk about that now. I don't oh, yeah. want to remind you. Just listen. Well, I want to do the whole list with you so you can get the whole feel. Like, we'll do the okay, countdown, okay. But, but that's in there. So, um, Harvey Keitel is in this as well. 
I'm sure Zoe Bell is also, but like Harvey Keitel is is one of the Nazis. No, he's the OSS commander that approves the deal over the phone. Oh, the voice. So he does voiceover. He does the voiceover Ah, on there, which is funny because like you know Tarantino puts himself in all of the all of his films. He wasn't in Jackie Brown except for he was the answering machine voice on Jackie Brown's answering machine. So that was his little nod. Yeah, I knew that too. Um, And it's kind of like a very. Put on voice. It's a, you oh, can yeah. tell it's, it's like a well, it's like a it's almost a mechanical or yeah yeah. Um, Am I still plugged in? Yeah. Okay. Do you know Do you know what what role Tarantino plays in Inglorious Bastards? He's a dead body, isn't he? Yeah. It's one well, of the, the Nazis. It's, it's a it's a it's not him. It's it's a, a dummy of him. But he's the first scalped Nazi that you see. Oh, okay. Is Tarantino. That's awesome. I thought it was really him. That's a really good dummy. I thought legit it was him with like a green skull cap on. Right. For green screen, not just because his brains are green, but like that's what I thought. And no, it was a, it was just a, a phlebotomist bust, if you will. <laughs> there you go. I think phlebotomist bust might be the name of the I, episode. That's what I said. God damn it. Um, who else? BJ Novak. Blah blah blah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I I really like this movie a lot. Me too. Just the like. Just the fact that the U.S. gets to kill Hitler and Goebbels and Gehring. Like, I just love, I love that so much. I don't know why. It's so yeah. satisfying. But, and, and I love that, that he kind of, he kind of parlays that, that kind of wish fulfillment thing into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where at the end of that movie, we have a, a world where the Manson murders didn't take place. Yeah. So. Which I think is I, actually cool in that movie, because they actually used the footage of Sharon Tate in the film, when she goes and watches herself in the theater, it's the, yeah, it's the actual the footage of her. So she gets in there, and I guess um, her sister gave the okay and approval to use that, and said that it was done really well. Even though some yeah. people are like, shouldn't have done that. Not cool. Like, oh, I thought it was great. I, I thought it was, thought a, it was good a wonderful homage. homage. Yeah. yeah. And another thing too is like, like he got a lot of heat after putting that movie out because it's like uh, Margot Robbie had no lines, and it's like, dude, you're missing the point. Yeah. The whole point was to to put to put Sharon Tate up as as an angelic figure, and to just to show her she never was without a smile. Yeah, and that was all you needed. You didn't need a bunch of lines. You didn't need a bunch of story or exposition. You just needed her to being be able happy to be well, and existing. You know what I mean? She gets to be a mother. That's the yeah. that's the the resolution of the story is that she gets to live the life that she didn't get to with her child and happy yes with that smile on her face the whole time so it's like I mean until she inevitably goes crazy and becomes Harley Quinn and breaks up with that's a Joker right. so yeah but until so then she's fine up to that point it was great yeah so <laughs> I hate you um. Funny, funny sidebar. I uh, not really sidebar, but like um, I lifted this as a funny little anecdote. I lifted off of IMDb as well. Michael Fassbender's performance as Lieutenant his, uh, his Hill is it Hillscox Hickox Hickox. Is my microphone moving? No. Um, is layered with irony. Fassbender was born in Germany to German Irish parents and raised in Ireland. Now residing in London 
uh, with fluency in German as his first language and English as his second language, uh, and and a mastery of English accents and dialects. Here, he plays an Englishman who goes undercover as a German who can speak German fluently, but has difficulty hiding his accent. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that's a lot of, that's a lot. Of, I'm going to stop doing that. That's not. So, did you know that this movie was originally going to be titled Once Upon a Time in Nazi-Occupied France? <laughs> that, I'm, that's not a joke. I'm being serious. Chapter one in the, the title cards was... Chapter th- one or three, or yeah, one of the chapters in there is yeah. that. But that was going to be the original name of the... And I really? thought, I'm like, what a fucking stupid name. And then, then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood comes out, and I'm like, I had a perfect name. Which, again, shows you the, the love and adoration that Tarantino has for Spaghetti Westerns, because Once Upon a Time in the West, you know, was like a... That, that was the first one. And then I believe Once Upon a Time in America came mm-hmm. after that. And when um, Rodriguez was doing his Mexico trilogy... Tarantino said to him, he's like, you got to make the third one. It has to be epic, and you have to call it Once Upon a Time in Mexico. So he's got this Once Upon a Time thing that's just, like, stuck in his brain. I'm glad he finally got it out. Me too. Um, I, would around. L- I would love to talk about Django, but I've only seen part of it. Django Unchained? And you know what I have for that movie? Like chunks of it I've seen because like I, like I'll I'll start it I'll stop it I'll start it again I've never sat down and watched the full movie front to back but I bet you have a run on sentence synopsis fucking a right hey uh, how would I know that what a doodle Django is a slave purchased and then freed by Doctor King Schultz and taught the ways of the bounty hunter in order to assist Schultz with. The understanding that they would also find a way to recover his wife, Broomhilda, from her new master. Broomhilda. Broomhilda. You know what her, her full name is? What's that? Broomhilda von Shaft. <laughs> really? That's her, that's her real name. Now, remember that. It's important later in our show. Ooh. Ooh. Whoa. So, very interesting. Jonah Hill is, uh, is in this movie. Uh-huh. He plays Baghead number two. It, which is it's the precursor to the KKK. They're the they're the guys. I don't know if you saw the scene or not. There is a pre KKK where they just have pillow ba- pillowcases yeah, yeah, yeah. on there, right? And so he plays ba- Baghead Number Two, who's a KKK member. He was originally supposed to be a more predominant role, but he ended up cutting everything. There was like a whole subplot with oh, him in bad. there, and they they cut it because um, I thought he would be the one to um, to kind of have his little like Tarantino breakout. But he did. He got that with Scorsese later on with some of oh yeah uh, yeah so. I, I don't feel so bad. I don't feel bad for Jonah Hill. You shouldn't. Especially Thin Jonah Hill. <laughs> yeah. Thin Jonah Hill I don't feel bad for, even oh, though he maniac? looks sad. I still so haven't finished it. Maniac. Still haven't finished it. You That's, need to finish that. I know. That's your homework. But do you know who is in Django Unchained that I really thought was going to, like, who, he's the guy who should have gotten his comeuppance but didn't? Luke Duke himself, Tom Wopat, oh, is in yeah. this. Great. That's right. When he showed up on screen, I was instantly out of the movie. I'm like, some motherfucking Luke Duke. <laughs> I'm like, where's That's Flash? Right. I forgot geet, about geet, that. Because he's your Flash. He he was he had the general lead. So, um, do you think that this like the the final scene in Jago? Do you think that is Tarantino's bloodiest? I mean, I think that it's that the, was a bloodbath. I think it's the bloodiest scene shot in color, but I don't think it's I don't think we can compare it because they go black and white on Kill Bill. True. True. Oh, Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs is pretty dang bloody. I was just thinking about that, too. I think that might be the bloodiest 
the, the bloodiest movie with the least amount of people is Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Because at most you've got, what, you've got Pink, Eddie, Joe, the cop, Tim Roth, and Keitel. Six people in the room at at. At the most, you get six people. Oh, and Blonde. Sorry, he's yeah. in there too. So you have seven people in the room. So seven people and that much blood. I think it's the bloodiest. It's not the bloodiest per capita, but it's the, the gross <laughs> domestic bloody, yeah, maybe. That's right. The GD blood. That's right. Because um, that's a lot of fucking blood the in a confined in, space. The industrial blood complex. <laughs> so, it, But I also think, too, in Django, there's, it's like... It's the squibs and the spray and yeah. all of that stuff where you, you look at Reservoir Dogs and it's there, there's a lot of bleeding out. You know, Reservoir Dogs is, is very hyper-realistic. and or No, Reservoir Dogs is very realistic. Django is very hyper-realistic because yes. of the spray. And then Kill Bill because that's in the actual movie universe of Quentin Tarantino's two universe I that universes? Universe-y? Universe-i? Universes. University of Phoenix of Quentin... <laughs> Quentin Beck. Um, huh? Wait. Where were you going with that? I have no fucking clue. You know. Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, because, because it's that... Kill Bill is so over the top because it's in the movie universe, so it can spray and, and be that, that gross whatever, but... Yeah, the Sonny it, Chiba movies. Because it's not the real real, as Quentin would True. call it. The real real? The real. That's what he calls it. It's the real real... Uh, what does he call it? Hold on. It's in me notes. Let me scroll to the bottom. You notice how when Chuck has notes, he always has to mention that he has notes? I don't always mention that I have notes, but let me look at my notes to see the last time I mentioned about notes. It's the realer than real world universe is what he calls it. Gotcha. Okay. Because it's hyper-realistic, so I guess Quentin can't use hyper. Apparently. Although he is hyper, because he's like, okay, 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 okay. Do you you remember when Norm MacDonald portrayed him? Oh, yeah. On On SNL? Yeah. So good. And was it Darren Hammond who played? Daryl. Daryl Hammond? Not to be confused with Daryl Hannah. Hannah. Daryl completely okay, different Daryl Hammond played um it was it was uh Beaver. He was playing the kid from Leave It the Beaver, the actor, Jerry Math Jerry, Jerry, Math- Jerry Mathers. Mathers. As Not to be confused with Marshall Mathers. Right. It's completely different. But he was gonna be instead of um instead of casting uh uh, welcome back, Cotter. He was going to cast him in Jerry Mathers and he's, in, in Pulp Fiction. Oh, they call it a Royale with cheese, Jules. <laughs> it was really funny. Go look that skit That's up. awesome. Liz, link that skit. So we were talking about Django. Um, so do you yeah, know... Yeah, that's, so, that's next on my list to revisit because I, I, I have not given it its due diligence. I've Like I said, I've probably seen the whole movie, but I've watched it in chunks. Yeah. So like I'll watch, I'll watch like 40 minutes here and then a half hour there. You know, so it's kind of... I, I Tarantino the Tarantino movie, the, and, and that one is one that you and should. It doesn't, you should yeah, watch it doesn't it. work. So I need to pay it. Uh, but I know I've watched enough of it to know. to know that two knockout performances: Jamie Fox, amazing, and DiCaprio. Plummer. Oh, DiCaprio is he's the shark in Jaws in that one. Yeah. Well, that scene where he smashes the glass, like he smashes his hand and cuts his hand. Yeah, that's real. Yeah, like that really happened, and right. they liked it so much that they wrote it into the script. Because the scene that's... So I've heard conflicting stories. I've heard that the scene that he actually cuts his hand is the scene that's in the movie. And then I heard that the scene that he cuts his hand was an inspiration for writing in the scene that he cuts his hand that they filmed... I have too. Aesthetically. I've, so I've heard both. I don't know. Um, I don't really have a lot on here. 
for Django, like note wise, I and since you haven't seen it, I guess we can kind of we can we can gloss we over do it. Is a standalone Django episode down the road? What is? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because there's there's a, there's the the director's cut version, the extended cut of that as well that I have that is right right around three hours ish. Like I think the original movie was like 167 minute runtime, yeah, or 100 and. 82 minute runtime or whatever. So yeah, I think yeah. yeah, we should we should do that one as a cuz I also think Hateful Eight deserves its own episode as well because of how long it is, but I definitely Agreed. want to touch more on it here and I'm going to do that now by reading my giant plot synopsis Wait a minute. for the Hateful Eight. Segway. Run on sentence synopsis. Yes, with yes, Chuck. yes. John Ruth and his passenger Daisy Dom, I don't know how to pronounce that last name, are en route to Red Rock for Daisy's hanging when they pick up Major Warren and Sheriff Manis, two sides of the same coin, before stopping at Minnie's Habitatory to wait out the ever-increasing blizzard with an unsavory group of pricks. Yeah, unsavory <laughs> group of pricks. <laughs> I had so many different nouns, and That's I just thought awesome. pricks really fits in there. Pretty, yeah, pretty so, true. Pretty, pretty pricks all in a row. Yay! This movie, absolutely fantastic. Again, I'm going to say for the third time this episode... Or today, the seventy millimeters was the best option to shoot this in. Yes, absolutely perfect. Uh-huh. Like just, I, I actually before you got here, I had started watching the extended episodic on Netflix just for the opening. I just wanted to watch the opening with the stagecoach going through and that yeah, massive those wall snow drifts. Of, oh, just beautiful, beautiful, and the mountains in the background. Yeah, just just perfectly composed. Reminds me of Coors Light. This <laughs> reminds me of a Coors Puppers. Puppers. A Pupper Coors? Coors Pupper? Pupper Coors? Peppercorn? Colorado Kool-Aid. I don't know. Ew, is it really called that? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Can you get it in flavors? Uh, probably. Because Bud Light's got that hard seltzer now. Is Coors going to do a seltzer and they call it Colorado you, you Kool-Aid? You can get that Mio stuff and just squirt <laughs> it in there. <laughs> that sounds nasty. So now you are more familiar with Hateful Eight, are you not? I uh, yeah. I will say that the, <laughs> that, was, that, the, that sound that, yeah. was not encouraging. <laughs> the two movies that I'm least familiar with in the Tarantino filmography uh, are Django and Hateful Eight. Oh, I, I've sad. seen both of them once, but uh, but yeah, the, the the memorable thing for me with Hateful Eight is it's kind of twofold. Um, in our, our previous episode, we were talking about kind of how you could set up some movies as a stage play because of, of how they're composed. And it, it's primarily takes place in, in one spot, mm-hmm. you know? So you could do a movie, you could translate it really easily to the stage. Um, and I think that, that Reservoir Dogs and Hateful Eight are both kind of in that same vein. If you did it on stage, unfortunately, you would lose that, those beautiful sweeping opening shots of... Uh, you know the the snow swept plains and all of that, but um, but I, I dig that it's kind of all in that that claustrophobic kind of uh, you know that one room shack and and all of the drama and and comedy that comes yeah. with it. So did you now? There's a I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a sentence and then you let me know if you think that this is pretentious or not. It's not it's not my opinion. It's it's uh, uh, and it's not a direct quote from Quentin, but. It's it's essentially he okay. he had two main influences for shooting Hate Plate, two main film influences, and they were um, let's see, was it uh, 1982's The Thing? 
Okay. Okay, which obviously, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh-huh. Um, and 1992's Reservoir Dogs. Because of the and, and so, so is that is pretentious, it pretentious that he's or not self referencing right because no. at first I thought yes until I thought more about the film because the thing obviously is more of the one of the reasons why to shoot it in seventy mil is because you get the giant sweeping blizzard which is its encroaching terribleness and becomes its own character yeah you know going back to last episode about the Humphrey Bogart sets you know sure. this is its own character the blizzard is the impending doom such as the thing you have the right. you know as the and aliens or whatever and you're not going to get the that feeling of claustrophobia without first setting up those establishing shots right which which really translates with the 70 mil and then going to reservoir dogs shooting the cuz reservoir dogs it kind of is a reference to the thing too but the the impending doom is just the outside world finding out where you are. They're sure. hiding from the police, and there are multiple police because there have been multiple casualties in this diamond heist. And so you cannot leave this confined space. Right. And so it, just like with the blizzard, it's holding them in, and all the action takes place inside these four walls. And and so... And you've got the pressure from the outside world, but you've also got the pressure from the, the internal pressure yeah. that's you know bubbling up and you know, the pressure cooker... Well, that one room. And the thing that I really love about about the reference to Reservoir Dogs, too, is that it's not just because of the confined space and you've got all the interaction between all the characters because they have to be with one another. In the background of Reservoir Dogs, you always hear, whenever they open the doors, police sirens, indicating that they cannot leave this area. It's holding them in. And just like with the blizzard, anytime anyone opens the door or there's... Uh, you always the hear the blizzard the yeah. in the background. And so right. it's not just like the Reservoir Dogs was only because of the confined space. It's everything about the movie, which to me makes it way less, if not completely not pretentious at all, to reference that because it makes sense. But on first hearing that sentence, I was like, what a fucking douche. Yeah. But you then, influenced yourself? But then going no, back, I'm like... Sense. Why? Why wouldn't it? And I would say the first time, because he never he never came out and specifically said this, but this would be the first time that a an example of a director going back to their roots, or like when a musician says, "I'm going back to how my first album sounded," right, and made something as good or better than the first, but kept true to what the first was and didn't tarnish. Like Reservoir Dogs isn't tarnished by being related to Hateful Eight. And Hateful Eight is not yeah. any better or worse for its use of the same uh, plot devices as Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, and and I think it would have been a completely different story had he done uh, another kind of uh, current day heist movie. You know what I mean? Like if yeah. he tried to go back to the well again, he made it a completely different film by setting it in the old west and and you know taking that that different angle on it. But it would have been easy to do that because it could have been a stagecoach robbery. Sure. And then yeah. they had to hide out in, in minis. Like they could have gone that way, but smart. Very smart. And, and again, he can spin a yarn, man. I think that's my favorite thing about Tarantino is the fact that no matter what he does behind the camera, what, no matter what he does in, you know, uh, when, when he has his influence in his hand in, the music design and and you know com- uh, taking the uh, the the soundtrack and and putting that together and, and no matter what he does, it's the story. 
It's mm-hmm. what he writes, the dialogue especially, that really drives it for me. It's like if it's like if Robert Rodriguez and Kevin Smith had a baby. It would be Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> just, Basically, and about as ugly. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might have to kick that one out in the snow outside of Minnie's haberdashery. So I wanna, I wanna give you a reference guide to the realer than real world and the movie movie universe. And these are this is Tarantino saying this is what exists in which of these two. They're all inside. So, like, to give you an example, the the realer than real world is the 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 like Reservoir Dogs. And if Mr. Pink were to go see a movie in Reservoir Dogs, or if he were to watch a TV show, he would see an episode of Bounty Hunter because that Bounty Law, yeah, that too, that exists in the movie movie universe. Got it. Okay, so that's Kill Bill. Like he would still see Kill Bill on the big screen. Okay. So here's the realer than real world. It's making sense. And this doesn't, these aren't just the, the Tarantino movies. These are also like true romances in here as well. So Reservoir Dogs, True Romance, Pulp Fiction, Death Proof. Okay. Okay. Inglorious Bastards, Django, Hateful Eight, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Although I, Death Proof and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are in both universes. Because the movies and TV shows that Kurt Russell's character does in Death Proof are in the movie movie universe. Yeah. And the TV shows and stunt work that's done on Bounty Law and the movies that are in there, including the Sharon Tate archival footage movie, is in the movie movie universe. Because it's a real character seeing a film. Right. So any form of entertainment. So I think that's interesting. Also in Glorious Bastards to an extent because of all of the... um, the 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 pro Nazi movie that they're shooting, like that movie is inside the movie movie universe because Inglorious Bastards takes place in the realer than real. Yeah, uh, but I think that's yeah, really that's interesting. Awesome. Like to have because everyone's like all of Tarantino's movies are are you know these characters are these characters as relatives and blah blah blah. But then you start really kind of going, well, is Uma Thurman's character in in the the Fox Force 5, is that supposed to be yeah. the Deadly Viper Assassination Squad? Well, now we know that Fox Force 5 takes place in the movie, movie universe, and that that actually might have been what, you know, what the, the, the divas, the, the, the Deadly Viper Assassination Squad, became. Like, that might have been, like, Kill Bill might be the pilot or the movie version of that show, and they just sure. changed the name. Like, it could be, it could be that kind of continuity. Which I think is I think is really really cool. I, I do too. And I think that if if Tarantino and you know Kevin Smith had a, a version of that where he had like all right I've got uh, I've got Jersey Girl I've got my uh, you know Canada trilogy which ends up being what two movies now yeah uh, and then I've got my Viewers Universe and they're kind of all separate until you get to reboot and, and then, then he just like throws everything together yeah it's just uh, and all his Degrassi stuff is like now oh yeah there. right and the couple episodes of Supergirl I guess I don't know enough about Smith. Enough about Schmerth. Yeah, um, we did We did enough of that a, a couple episodes ago. So the movie movie universe, there's a few in here that I was like, oh, Natural Born Killers is in the movie movie universe. It is not uh, real. Yes. And that makes... I always forget about Natural Born Killers as, as yeah, a Tarantino property. Great, uh, great Robert Downey Jr. Uh, role oh, in yeah. that. Just fantastic. From Dusk Till Dawn is in the movie movie That's universe. Right. yeah. And I'm assuming the three or four spinoff crap movies that are that, are, that came out after that. The Dust of Dawn spinoffs? Yeah, like just... Ugh. <clears throat> uh, Kill Bill 1 and 2, uh, 
Pulp Fiction's Fox Force 5, we said, the, all the stuff in Once Upon a Time, Mex- uh, Hollywood, Inglorious Bastards, propaganda films, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so here are the character related. Well, actually, so do, do you agree with all those, or do you feel like some of them like maybe should be in the, the realer than real? No, that all makes sense. It, it, it does, really. <laughs> it really does to me, and too. And so wait a minute. So you said that, that this was, Tarantino put this information out there? Tarantino said this. Like I've got the uh, I gave it to Liz the the, the thing for it. Um, it's uh, it's in an article called "All Quentin Tarantino Movies Are Connected." Here's where "Once Upon a Time in Hollywood" fits in by Matt Miller from Esquire. Oh, cool! And so Tarantino came out and said, "Like this is where this is it." And so he's either a genius for for doing the Kevin Smith thing of like, yeah, that's why I shot Clerks in black and white because it's from the point of view of the security camera. Because that's what everyone thinks it is. He's either a genius by saying, like, oh, yeah, they're all interconnected, but there's two universes. Or he's a fucking genius because he actually wrote two movie universes yeah. that coincide with and without one another. It's brilliant. E- either way, he's a genius because he can make such unique properties. I mean, each and every one of these things can stand alone by itself. Mm-hmm. And... And then to to tie them together, you know, if you want to do that, either through, uh, you know, Red Apple Cigarettes, for example, you know, you see that in a number of his movies. So, like, it's kind of tied together that way. But but each one of them stands alone, and you could you could get rid of all of them, and each one of them, I think, would still be the cheese. Know, two thumbs up across. Yeah, Royale with cheese, if you will. Well, the Royale with cheese stands alone. That's right. So. Here's the other thing I was telling you about that to remind me of later is I wanted to talk about the character relationships and okay. where they are in the, the list. So this is from an article um, from Screen Rant uh, called 12 Quentin Tarantino Characters That Are Actually Related to, to Each Other by Daniello Cast- Castro. Castro. Should have not had a problem pronouncing that last <laughs> name. It's a fairly common name. Or even Dirty. Yeah. So Django and Broomhilda von Schaft from Django Unchained are the great-great-grandparents of John Shaft from the Shaft universe per Tarantino. That's awesome. That is absolutely fantastic. I love that. I wish that the last and Shaft movie And who is John Shaft? Samuel Jackson. Well, in the 2000, but they're talking about all of the John Shafts, like the 70s. Right, right, right. but I'm just saying it's like oh, but yeah. you, you got that Tarantino tie. Yeah. Did you see the new one? Shaft None 19 or whatever? None of them. Oh, I have, of them. I have the original Not even the round tree unfortunately. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. It is sad. It's not that sad. Um, Gerald Nash from Natural Born Killers. He's the cop in the, uh, in the recreation of the murders of Mickey and Mallory when they're doing the dramatization. Nash is the guy who gets his ear cut off, right? Is Marvin Nash's, yeah. Yeah. His father All and son. Right. Uh... Lawrence uh, Lawrence Dimmick, which is Larry, from Reservoir Dogs, and oh, that's 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 Mr. White, Larry, right? Okay. And Jimmy Dimmick from Pulp Fiction, the irate coffee connoisseur, which is Tarantino's character, are brothers. Oh, I love it. They're brothers, which I think are, which I think is pretty great. We touched on this one. Uh, this is number nine, uh, Captain Coons in Pulp Fiction and Crazy Craig Coons in Django. I mentioned in the Bounty Hunter paper, it's the great-great-grandfather of Captain Coons, which is the watch guy from Pulp Fiction. So we touched on that one already. Touched on the, the dirty watch. Yeah, dirty watch. 
Uh-huh. The poop watch. <laughs> Number eight, Seymour Scagnetti from Reservoir Dogs, the parole officer, and Jack Scagnetti from Natural Born Killers, the lawyer, are brothers. Man. Fucking weird, right? It's awesome, though. Number seven, The Maynards. This is from Django and Pulp Fiction. Uh, not seen but heard in Django being completely racist. Uh, and then seen in Pulp Fiction as the sexual deviant who gets sorted by Butch. So he's not the gimp, but he's the cop, I Zed. guess. Yeah, I guess. Er, er, no, this is Maynard. So there's the... Zed's dead, baby. <laughs> there's the gimp, that's Zed. And then there's the cop that helps no, him out, and that's the, Maynard? There's two dudes and then the gimp. Oh, right? yeah, 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 yeah. There's, so Zed's the guy. I think Zed's the one, because he steals his bike. Yeah, that one is not, so that's not, it's not Zed Maynard, the other it's guy. the other guy. Got it, okay. Um, yeah, the, the, other one, uh, the other one from Django can be heard off screen saying something like, ain't no black guy gonna, well, something, he says something like, and they're like, shut up Maynard's, but that's, they're related because the, the. Not a starring role, but an off screen. Yeah, but the, voiceover the guy, I guess the guy in, um, in Pulp Fiction, because it's Marcellus Wallace, is which is explains very a lot about well. his progeny, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, moving on. Going to move on with that one. Number six, Doctor King Schultz and Paula Schultz from Django and Kill Bill were married. Now uh, you're going to think, who's this character? Wasn't a character. Think Emmett L. Brown lies here. It's the gravestone that they bury the bride in oh, is Paula Schultz. Me. So the idea is that, is that, and I believe I have this right, Liz can correct me if I'm wrong, is that Dr. Schultz was a dentist. And when his wife Paula died, he gave up dentistry and went on the road because he was heartbroken and became a bounty hunter. Dude, I love it. Number five. This is Morpheus seeing how far the rabbit hole goes <laughs> right now. Number five. Earl McGraw from Dusk Till Dawn and Edgar McGraw in Kill Bill are father and son. They are the law enforcement agents. Yeah. So the guy who's driving into town with the sunglasses on his dashboard. Yep. Man of Shevitz. Number four. Esmeralda. This isn't, this is more, this is not a, a relative thing, but this was just kind of like a little cool tidbit. Uh, number four. Esmeralda Villalobos from Pulp Fiction. She's the cab driver. For, yeah, for Butch and Gabriella. Uh, Esmeralda, for, remember? For, yeah, from Butch. Uh, and then Gabriella Villalobos from Curdled, which Tarantino co-wrote the 1996 black comedy where Esmeralda moves to Miami and changes her name. And in Curdled, they also mentioned the Gecko Brothers from Dust Till Dawn. Which, one, which then makes me wonder, is Curdled then in the movie movie universe? Or did they see the movie with the Gecko Brothers in it since they're in Good point. the movie, movie universe? So that things you know start funny to unravel. Us movie nerds are sitting back going, I love how everything's tied together. But you know what it probably is? Is Tarantino just being lazy going, all right, I'm just going to write this guy, okay? Okay? Kind of okay. like, like how we don't do our own social media. We have Liz do it because we're lazy. <laughs> we're outsourcing to someone more skilled than us is, is the way I like to... We're lazy. Thanks, Liz. Uh, number three, Donnie Danowitz from Inglorious Bastards, the Bear. Donnie Donowitz. Donowitz, yeah, sorry, sorry. From Boston. And Lee Donowitz from True Romance, our father and son. Oh, cool. Do you remember who Lee was in True Romance? 
No. I think he was the lawyer. He was like a greaseball lawyer. With a, he was a coke fiend, I think. His dad would be proud. Yeah. Probably beat him in the head with a baseball bat. They look very similar. Um, played by different actors, though. English Pete Hick- Hillcox from The Hateful Eight. Who likes the scotch with is, plain water. It, that was, um, yeah, that was Tim Roth's character, right? Yeah. Fassbender. In Hateful Eight? He wasn't in. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh. He's part of uh, Domagru's gang. Is Archie Hillcox? Hickox? Hickox, Hickox, From Inglorious Bastards, great-great-grandfather. So Tim Roth's character in Hateful Eight is the great-great-grandfather of Michael Fassbender. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So at least he redeemed himself, his family, a little bit from being uh, a a gunslinger robber and part of a gang. Opposite of Donowitz. Yeah. The opposite there. Right. Yeah, yeah. And the number one is um, Vic and Vincent Vega, brothers. Which everybody knows. Which everybody knows. Yeah. But again, Vic was also in True Romance. So you ready to wrap? I'm ready to wrap. Ready to wrap. All right. So let's uh, let's close with this. So is it a quote or an inspirational saying? Are you going to quote Rudy? I was going to sing. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine too. Okay. Now I'll skip that, and I'll just go with this. If you want to get in touch with us, and please do, let us know uh, your. One and only Quentin Tarantino, prior eyes open like Alex from Clockwork Orange. <laughs> and uh, question. For, for the rest of your life. Uh, hit us up at filmburrito.com. Follow us on the socials. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Sign Please up share for the podcast, too. Give us ratings, too. Yes. Whether you like it, whether you don't. If you don't, just skip it. If you love us, give us a five star. Put some comments in. If you don't like us but are funny, write something funny about why you don't like us. And still give us a five star. Yeah. Because, you know, if you don't, I, I think you uh, could, if you hate us, give us an ironic why you like us and give us five stars ironically. There you go. That's that's better. I, I like, like that. that one. Yeah, I like that. Hey, Jay. Yo, what's our phone number for the show? Phone number 440-701-6547. Until next time, I'm Jason. I am not Jason, but I am Chuck. We are Film Burrito. Bye. Bye.